Good morning, everyone. Good, good to be here with you this morning. Thank you, worship team, for leading us in those wonderful songs. Well, I've been retired from the pastorate for three and a half years. Haven't had too many opportunities to preach, but um, when I do, they're rather long sermons because everything that's been. Someone's asked me, what, what do you miss most about being a pastor? And uh, one of them is studying God's word and getting paid for it. Every day, I go into my office and I study the word of God. I just love doing that. And you say, well, now you're, that you're retired, why aren't you doing that? I'm too busy in construction, I'm too tired. So when I have opportunities like this, I thoroughly enjoy it. And the other thing that I miss as well is the people, uh, being together with the people there, especially when you're going through tough times. We've had quite the tragedy in the last year f- for our family, the loss of our nephew and then our grandson. And it's, uh, it's good to be together with people who care. Thank you so much for caring for us. I'm excited about today's message because... It comes from Isaiah chapter 40. And as I've been studying Isaiah 40, there is some great, wonderful truths there. Let me ask you a question. What is it that you are afraid of? What are you afraid of? I went on Google, and I found out there's over a hundred different phobias. And I thought I would read uh, probably about 50 of them or so, just so that... So the first one is ablutophobia. It's a fear of bathing. I think my dog has that. He likes going in the mud and that, but he doesn't like getting cleaned up after. I mean, some of this stuff is just unbelievable here. Uh, Fear of vomiting. I'm not going to try and pronounce some of these. Fear of insects. Fear of knees. Wow. Then there's this one here. I like this one. It's hippotomonstrosity quiplophobia. You know what that is? Fear of long words. <laughs> Yikes. Then there's ornithophobia. That's actually my fear. It's a fear of birds. When I was a little kid, I was riding along on my bike one day. And a bird attacked me. I guess I must have been too near to, to his nest and they had little ones or something like that. And so every time I go to somebody's place and they have a budgie and they have it in a cage, sometimes they ask, can I let the budgie out of the cage? I said, no, just leave that thing in there. I don't like them fly. And sure enough, they let it out and it comes and flies around my head. Don't like that kind of stuff. Well, listing all of the phobias probably isn't possible. Again, what are you afraid of? Of course, fear is an emotion that God has given to us. So in some situations, fear is good. If you're going to somebody's place and there's a Doverman sitting in the front porch, uh, probably don't go there. Or if you hear of a tornado coming or see a tornado coming, take cover. But there are fears that God wants to help us overcome. 
with the help of the Holy Spirit. So if you have your Bibles with you, please turn to Isaiah chapter 40. And while you're turning there, let me just give you a bit of a background to uh, chapter 40 here. In the first 39 chapters of the book of Isaiah, the prophet has announced a whole pile of judgments because the Israelites were turning away from God. Now, he had written this a hundred years before the uh, Babylonian captivity, and there were hard times coming even before the captivity. So he writes the people to encourage them to live holy lives. Yes, he was going to punish them in the hope that the people would repent and come back to him. And the punishment would, of course, come by the Babylonians. And many of the people, many of the Hebrew people were terribly discouraged and afraid of the future. And then you turn the page and you come to chapter 40. And there's a huge change. Isaiah turns from confronting the people to comforting the people. It's a pastor's job. There are times when we need to confront and then there are the times when we need to comfort as well. So God starts off, Isaiah starts off with the first verse in chapter 40 where he says, comfort, comfort my people. And how he does that in the first number of verses there is through just a grandiose view of our God. I want to look at four aspects of the immeasurable greatness of God that we see in verses 12 to 16 that was helpful for the people back then to alleviate some of the fears that they had of what, what was going to happen. And I trust as well that the word of God from Isaiah 40 will help you face whatever you're going through at this time, whether it be a fear of what the future holds, whether it be a fear of your health, your finances, how your kids will turn out, well, you fill in the blanks. Well, before we go too much further, let's ask God to help us with this. Father, thank you for this opportunity to share the word of God with these people. Father, you know each and every heart that's represented here this morning. You know the fears, you know the doubts, you know the trials and tribulations that we're going through, just like the Israelites back then. So, Spirit of the living God, we ask that you would open our eyes to your immeasurable greatness. You are bigger than any problem. You are bigger than any fear or any trial or tribulation that we could ever go through. And this morning, I pray, Father, that you would comfort Comfort your people. And I ask this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. So Isaiah gives us a view of a big God. Someone has said the larger and more accurate our understanding of God is, the smaller our troubles will seem. And even better, our confidence in his ability to handle our fears and our problems will increase. So to get this big view of God, we see that God is greater than all that he has created. God created the waters and the earth, and in verse 12a it says, 
Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? I went to the kitchen, grabbed a teaspoon, and put water in it, and I decided I would hold up my hand, the hollow of my hand, and pour it in there. You realize that even that teaspoon, there was still water spilling out over it. <clears throat> Lake Superior has three quadrillion gallons of water in it. That's 38 with 15 zeros behind it. Lake Winnipeg is 284 cubic kilometers of water. There are 354,700,000 cubic kilometers of water in the Atlantic. There are 660 million kilometers of water in the Pacific. So 71% of our Earth is covered with water. Now, I don't know how many teaspoons that is, but Isaiah tells us that God holds it all in the hollow of his hand. You know, when you, when you begin to think of that, do you think he's big enough to handle the problems and the fears that are in your life and mine? Secondly, God created the sun, moon, and the stars. We read that in the second part of uh, verse 12, and he has measured the heavens with a span. Now the sun is 93 million miles from planet Earth, and the next closest star is Proxima Centura that lies 4.35 light years away, and the furthest star that they've found is 5 billion light years away from Earth. Those are the ones that mankind has found. So how vast is this universe that God has created? Well, I looked it up on the gospel according to Google, of course, and they said, well, it's 95 billion light years, and it's ever-expanding. So what is a span? The span is the distance between my pinky and my thumb. Our God is so vast and so big that he can measure the universe, which we can't measure and don't even know, with the span of his hand. Now that's a big God. Would you agree? Wow. He's big enough to handle the issues that we're going through in life. God created the earth, verse 12, and calculated the dust of the earth with a measure. What is a measure? Well, I looked that up in the ancient days, and I guess there was all different kinds of size of baskets, but in this specific case, it was a basket that would hold a quarter of a gallon. Imagine calculating all of the earth's dust. You'd have this basket, you would scrape the dust in there, and then you'd dump it someplace where you'd be sure not to have to weigh it again, and you did that for the whole earth. How long would that take you? It's impossible, right? You'd never be able to do that. The National Science Foundation researchers found that the Earth's atmosphere, that's the atmosphere now, contains 17 million metric tons of coarse dust. And each year, 4,700 metric tons of interplanetary dust particles reach the Earth's surface. That's a lot of dust coming down in a year. So how many dust particles are on the earth already today? 
God knows the exact number of particles. He knew how many were there yesterday. He knows how many there are here today and how many will be there tomorrow. See, that, that tells me that God knows what you and I are facing. And Isaiah is using these just magnificent pictures of God to show the Israelites and to show us that he knows and he cares. God created the mountains. Verse 12 again, the last part of it. And weighed the mountains in a balance and the hills in a pair of scales. So the heaviest object ever directly weighed was the revolving service structure launch pad 39B at NASA's Kennedy Space Center. So the structure was lifted up on 21 jacking points, at 21 jacking points, and lifted and weighed to be 2,423 tons, which is 5,342,000 pounds. How much does Mount Everest weigh? 350 trillion pounds, they guess. They have not invented a scale big enough to weigh a mountain. God has. He has a pair of scales that can weigh the mountains, weigh the earth, weigh the stars, the moon, whatever. You know, the, the whole of, boy, I could really, <clears throat> the whole of creation is precision work. People can guess at how much mountains weigh. God knows exactly because he created. And since God is bigger than the things that he has made, you think that he might be just big enough to face your fears and mine? God himself is unmeasurable by man because he is so great. So God is greater than all that he has created. Point number two. The greatness, we see the greatness of God's wisdom in verses 13 and 14. Isaiah writes this, Who has directed the spirit of the Lord, or as his counselor has informed him, with whom did he consult, and who gave him understanding? And who taught him in the path of justice, and taught him knowledge, and informed him of the way of understanding? God is wiser than the creatures that he governs. You know, sometimes when, when we go through tough times, we like to tell God how to orchestrate things, eh? You know, you shouldn't do it like this, God. You should do it like this. It would be so much better. There are times when I would really like to, really like to instruct God, but how dumb is that? <laughs> who has ever taught God anything, or who has ever said, Oh, by the way, God, did you know that, um, or who has ever counseled God, or who has ever given God understanding in the matter? Has God ever said, hmm, I'm not sure about that. I think I'll ask Bernie about that. <laughs> I'm glad you're laughing because that is laughable. God is omniscient. He knows everything. He does not need a teacher. He is the teacher. So when Isaiah wrote this, how did he know that? God told him, right? God told him. Isaiah couldn't have come up with that on his own. Psalms 139, verses 1 to 4 says, O Lord, you have searched me 
and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You understand my thought from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down and are intimately acquainted with all your ways. Even before there is a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all. A.W. Tozer says, to say that God is omniscient is to say that he possesses perfect knowledge and therefore has no need to learn. But it's more. It is to say that God has never learned and cannot learn. He knows it all. He's known it forever. So what does that mean to you as a believer, as a follower of Christ? Nothing ever takes God by surprise. He's never amazed, never looking for information. Isaiah 64, 4 says, For since the beginning of the world, men have not heard nor perceived by the ear Neither hath the eye seen, O God, besides thee, what he has prepared for him that waiteth for him. <laughs> Who on earth could know everything about you and still love you? Who can tattletale to God about me and say, oh, did you see what Bernie did over there? <laughs> he knows it all. And the neat thing is, is he still loves me too. He knows your fears. He's not surprised by your fears or struggles because God is bigger than our fears and trials. He's bigger than any problem that we could ever face. Now that doesn't mean that we always know why God allows certain things in our lives. I found a couple of verses that were really, really helpful in, in some of the tough times that I've gone through. Proverbs 25, verse 2 says, It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. Deuteronomy 29, 29, The secret things belong to the Lord our God. God is God. We're not. He knows what he's doing. The psalmist says our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. You know, if, if we don't believe that God is sovereign, we are going to have all kinds of problems in our lives. It is tough to go through tough times if you don't believe in the sovereignty of God. So what does it mean for the unbeliever? This whole aspect that God knows everything about you. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior and never asked him into, into your life to forgive your sins, be afraid. There, there is no place to hide, as we read in Psalms 139. But you need to know this as well. God loves you. He has made a way possible for you to come to him. Just simply admit that you're a sinner, and that Jesus Christ paid the penalty for your sin. Repent and just turn to him and say, I'm sorry, I want to live life according to the Bible, with the Holy Spirit's help. You know, it's the best move you could ever make. God is greater than all he has created. He is not dependent on any of his creation. He doesn't need counsel from people. His wisdom is far superior to any 
one that he ever created. And thirdly, God is stronger than all the nations. Verse 15, behold. That's a great word. Behold. I heard a, someone preach a whole message on that word, behold. Um, Isaiah wants us to grab a hold of the significance of what he's going to say next. Behold, the nations are like a drop from the bucket and are regarded as a speck of dust on the scales. Behold, there's that word again, he lifts up the islands like fine dust. God is independent of nations. We need that reminder these days, don't we? My does anyone really think that Putin is somebody, or Trudeau, or Biden, or any ruler on earth is something? They think they're calling the shots, but they're not. They go as far as God allows them to. Proverbs 21.1 says, The king's heart is like channels of water in the hands of the Lord, and he turns it whichever way that he wishes. My brother Len is a farmer, and in the springtime, and uh, when it gets wet as well, he's out there scanning the fields. Where are the water puddles? And then he digs these little trenches, or if he has time, he'll make a swale and then direct that water into the ditch. That's the picture that we have here. God is the one who directs the hearts of leaders. He turns in their hearts whichever way he wishes. You know, a lot of people would never acknowledge that, but again, God is sovereign. He's in control of everything that goes on down here, not the politicians. They can only go so far and no further. The Israelites, man, they, they needed a reminder of that. And I think today we do as well. And again, if you don't believe that, You've got a small view of God, and the things of this world will just simply overwhelm you. The nations are just like a drop in the bucket, Isaiah said, compared to God. So let's say I fill up a five-gallon pail, I'm going to water my garden, and one little drop goes beside there. That little drop is insignificant. It's not going to help my garden at all. It doesn't really matter. It affects absolutely nothing, and to God, the nations are a drop in the bucket. The nations of the world that seem so powerful are nothing compared to God. The enemies of God are, are many today. Nation after nation rises their puny fists at God. Many of our own leaders are proponents of evil. You look at the World Economic Forum's agenda, and it's everything against what God stands for. Many of the things that are being taught in the schools are against what God stands for. Our mainstream media, proponents of evil with half-truths and lies. Woe to them who call evil good and good evil. You fearful about the future? What our government might do to us? Listen to the psalmist. Said so the kings of the earth 
take their stand, and the rulers conspire together against the Lord and against his anointing, saying, let's tear their shackles apart and throw their ropes away from us. Oh, my goodness. I'm shaking in my boots. Well, we need to read the rest of the verse, right, that says, he who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. At them. They're all simply a drop in the bucket. Verse 15 also says, a speck of dust on the scales. Now, if you have a set of scales sitting there and there's a little bit of dust in there, that's not going to affect anything, right? Um, the nations are of no significance in, Paris, in comparison to God. They need him. God doesn't need them. They need him, right? He is their creator. Behold, he lifts the islands like fine dust. There again we see that word, behold. Not only are the nations insignificant, so are the coastlands. And what can we compare these islands to? Fine dust. Actually, that word in Hebrew is Adam. So God can lift up an island as though it was just a light piece of dust. Piece of cake for God to do that. God is stronger than the nations. And fourthly, you might be surprised by this one, but God is worthier than any worship that he could ever receive. You know, God got along quite fine before we came along. He is not dependent on man. We're dependent on him. We do not, or he does not need our worship to complete him. Now, <clears throat> Lebanon was known for just many, many trees. And Isaiah uses the comparison of using all of the many trees in Lebanon in a burnt offering. And if you took all of these trees of Lebanon and used them in that offering, that offering would be insignificant in comparison to the worthiness of God. And he says the same thing about the animals. When you have a large forest, there's lots of animals around. Even if you took all of those animals and used that for a burnt offering, it would still be insufficient. God is worthy of much more. He is so high, so exalted, so holy, so far above any nation. Now, of course, that doesn't mean that we're not supposed to worship God. We need to because he is our creator. He wants us to do that. But he is worthy, far more worthy than anything you and I could ever offer. Of course, we're commanded to worship him with all our heart and soul and mind. So again, this picture is one of a transcendent, magnificent God. Pastor Howard preached on Psalms 8 the other couple Sundays ago. Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. I like that. Our God is greater than all he has created. Our God doesn't need anyone to teach him. He knows it all. He's omniscient. Our God is stronger than all the nations in the world put together. Our God is worthier than any worship we could possibly offer him. So what fear or problem or trial are you facing? See, if we view our problems and fears as huge, our God looks small. But when we have a high view of God, our problems and fears will be smaller. 
someone has written, the larger and more accurate our understanding of God is, the smaller our fears and troubles will seem. So how do we get that better understanding of our God? I think it's only through the reading and meditating, studying and obeying of God's Word, spending time with Him in prayer. So as we, fret, as we reflect on God's immeasurable greatness, our confidence in His ability to handle our fears, our trials, our confidence in Him will increase. Father, thank You for this, just these couple of verses. Wow, they're great. Lord, You are greater than than all you have created. You have no need for anyone to teach you. You know it all. You are stronger than all of the nations put together and you're worthier than any worship that we could ever offer you. And I pray, Father, this morning for the souls represented here. Lord, if there's someone here who has never, ever accepted you into their lives as Savior, I pray that they might do that now. And Lord, anyone who is struggling with fears or problems or issues. Lord, remind them of these verses from Isaiah chapter 40, verses 12 to 16. Thank you, Father, for what you are doing in and through our lives. And we pray this in Christ's name.